In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. It's, it's not about how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get up. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we We salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and of course, I'm here with our producer and co-host, Dale Culver. What's the word, buddy? The word is you want the actual man word. Oh, if the man. Oh, well, what's you the word? Like word, word. What's the word. I thought that's like, hey, what's up? How you doing? Yeah, uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. And the word of the day it better not be surrender. I, you know what? I actually wrote that down, and there's a line through it because I, I'm like, you okay. would probably freak out okay. on me. So it's better. It is fortitude. Oh, good, good. So good. Talk I've, to me about that I've and listened to our guest speak before. And I'm like, man, this dude has some amazing amount of fortitude. And the definition, for those who don't know, is courage in pain and adversity. This guy actually has a story where he got shot and his arm was like hanging off. And they said, we're taking it. And he said, no, you're not. It's going to be healed. (laughs) And I watched him lift his arm over his head. I can only imagine the stuff that this dude has gone through. Yet he had courage in the pain and adversity in it. I mean, I can remember the first time I ever went paintballing as a youth pastor, and I remember huddled up behind some wood planks going, I don't, there's no way I could go into war as stuff is flying at you. It's going to hurt. I didn't have courage. Well, you know what's interesting, Dale, (laughs) when you talk about this and pain, I would venture to guess that the pain that he has incurred that has really troubled him was not in his arm. It It was watching those he commanded die, and he shares that in his book. And I'm really excited to talk about that. I'm really excited to get this guy on the show because what I realized after reading his book, Never Surrender, he's a founding member of Delta Force. And after reading the book, I realized he's been in almost every major conflict that we've seen in the headlines since the late 80s. And so uh, it's really impressive, and I'm excited to get him on today. Uh, Lieutenant General Retired Jerry Boykin, he's 71 years old. He lives in Washington, D.C. with his beautiful wife, Ashley. They've been married 22 years. 
Lieutenant General Boykin began his military career in 1971, where he participated in numerous operations, including the Iranian hostage rescue mission, Grenada, Panama, Mogadishu, Somalia, and on and on. His highly decorated career includes company executive officer in 1st Battalion Ranger, 75th Infantry, branch chief at the Florida Ranger School, director for operations at the Joint Special Operations Command, and commander of Special Operations Forces, Operational Detachment Delta, a.k.a. Delta Force. He has served as the Chief Special Operations Division Office of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Central Intelligent Agency, that's CIA, as the Deputy Director of Special Activities and the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence in Charge of Intelligence and Warfighting Support. Currently, he's the Executive Vice President of Family Research Council. It's my pleasure to bring on to our show Lieutenant General Retired Jerry Boykin. Well, Jerry, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy man. I just saw you on the news about two weeks ago. Uh, it's our honor to have you on the show, sir. Well, it's really good to be with you, especially for a topic like this. Well, it's uh, important for this day and age. And I got to tell you, I read your book, Never Surrender, A Soldier's Journey to the Crossroads of Faith and Freedom. And it's the fastest 352-page book I've read. Uh, your chapter breakdowns are very short. Your stories, of course, are unbelievable. Uh, I've seen them in movies and TV series, and you live them. And so I just want to say uh, thank you for writing this wonderful book, and thank you for your many, many, many years of service of this great nation. Well, thank you, Jim. I consider it a great uh, blessing and privilege to have been able to serve my country for that long. So why did you write the book and title it Never Surrender? What's up with the title? How did you come up with that title? Well, uh, Jim, if you've read the book, you know there is a uh, story in there from uh, Mogadishu, Somalia, yes. when I was commanding the Delta Force, uh, in which my doctor uh, was hit by a mortar at mm -hmm. the same time that I was. And, uh, and essentially, he laid next to me, and I reached over and took his hand and began praying for him and asking God to spare his life. But uh, his femoral artery had been uh, clipped, and uh, he was bleeding out. But uh, they um, they eventually said to me, he's gone, let him go. But I, I could not let him go. I had to continue praying for him. And they even tried to pull our hands apart, and I wouldn't let him go um, because I knew that God could could spare his life. And, and that, uh, that is exactly what happened. Uh, that, that doctor that they said, let him go. He's gone. Uh, was, uh, was actually in 2014 chosen as the number one doctor in the Shenandoah Valley wow. of Virginia. Uh, and I, I, I say to people never surrender, never surrender. No matter what the world tells you, never surrender when you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and the Lord of your life. Never surrender. You keep praying. You keep trusting. You keep walking. And uh, God can move. That event in Somalia highly impacted you, and I want to come back to that in a little bit later. But when I read the book, your friend's name was, was it Rob? I forgot his name, the doctor. Yeah, Rob. Rob, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I was shocked that he was alive because you, you yeah. the next chapter he walked in in a cane. I was shocked because the way you wrote the story, I thought for sure he was gone. And so it was just a, a story of hope in the midst of uh, so much loss and tragedy. Yeah, it was. And it was, uh, 
I, I, you know, in part, it was God's way of reminding me that even in the middle of chaos, he's still there. And he, he certainly answered that prayer. And I'm, I'm sure that I was not the only one that was praying for him. But whenever you get uh, an answer to a prayer, take it personally, you know, don't, don't go let, uh, don't, don't be led in the direction of, well, it just, it was a coincidence. Uh, it would have happened anyhow. No, take it personally. Would you pray about something? And that prayer is answered. Take it personally. I love that. Take it personally. And I, and as a follower of Jesus Christ myself, we have a relationship with God. And you know, I really appreciated your authenticity in this book. On page fifty nine of the book, you tell the story of your dilemma with being a Christian and being a warrior. Uh, you tell yeah. of a night after church when you presented this dilemma to your pastor, and his response was this: "Quote, life is all about warfare. Life is a battle." a spiritual battle, and at the root of every war is a spiritual battle. How did that affirm your call as a warrior and a follower of Jesus in that moment of your life? Well, I had a great deal of confidence in this pastor, and uh, uh, that's what I needed to hear. I needed to hear a confirmation from him, a man of authority, a man that uh, had a uh, theological background. I needed to hear that from, from, from a man like him because I trusted him and I had confidence in his and his uh, true nature. And so when he told me that, it was it was the confirmation that I needed. You see, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not kill. The Bible says thou shalt not murder. Mm-hmm. And if you believe that it says kill, then you have to believe that God changed his mind somewhere between Mount Sinai and the Jordan River. If he said kill on, uh, on the tablets that he handed down to Moses at Mount Sinai, apparently he changed his mind by the time he got to the Jordan <laughs> River because he said to Joshua, kill them all. Yeah. <laughs> kill them all. He used the term kill there. So there's a misunderstanding of that. And as long as you are doing this without malice of forethought, you're doing what your country's called you to do. You're defending what you hold dear, what you value against an enemy. Uh, there is nothing unethical or unbiblical about serving your nation in uniform and ultimately, if called upon to do so, taking human life. Well, and we are called in scripture, I believe, to be protectors of the weak and powerless. And this is part of the warrior spirit. Well, you know what? I just finished my next book. It's called Man to Man. And that is exactly one of the chapters is exactly that. As a man, as a defender or a protector, the Bible says that I can find 52 times it calls God himself a defender or a protector. That's what a man is supposed to be. He's, he, he protects or defends what he holds dear. And, uh, and, and that's, it is biblical. Yeah. I believe personally that men carry five mantles of manhood. The first one is defender protector. And so I'm wholeheartedly agreeing with you there. There's something in men, I think, and your story resonates with the, the manhood part of my life that, that says, uh, to dive in headlong into the fray. You know, I rem- I'm reminded of 20th century explorer uh, Ernest Shackleton. You, mem- you know him. Oh, I know. Yeah, I've read his book. I've read the book about him. Well, when he selected the people that would go to the South Pole, he put an ad in the paper, and the ad said, men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition, in event of success. And it reminded me of your quote on page 70 when you were uh, training as a founding member of Delta and Colonel Charlie Beckwith gave a speech to the, these young cadets and he said, I'll promise you, quote, I'll promise you two things, a medal and a body bag. 
And you said in the book, I can do, I can live with that. <laughs> I thought, yeah, wow. I was, I was all in for that metal. The body bag didn't sound <laughs> all that good, but I thought, well, what the heck, all these other guys are in, I'm into. <laughs> well, why, why, you know, thinking of Shackleton, thinking of your quote, why are men attracted to life-threatening danger? Why do men, even men who are not soldiers, why do they seem to seek a hill to die on? What is it about men that you've learned at their core? When a man comes out of the womb, a man is destined to be a warrior. Only our culture or um, things that we don't control uh, divert a man from that calling. And the things we don't control are accidents and, and, and medical situations and all that would, that would prevent a man from from being a warrior, but, uh, and even with a, a disability, a man can very much be a warrior, but it's not the physical warrior that, uh, that, you know, we're talking about here, but, uh, a man is, is, is destined to be a warrior. He's called by God to be a warrior. You see when we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're not here just so we'll go to heaven. He doesn't redeem us just so we'll go to heaven. We're going, but he de redeems us so that we can be warriors in his kingdom. You see, we've got to stand together as men, as a mighty army. And we've got we've to lead. We've got to take back terrain. And uh, that's what a man's supposed to do. It's, uh, sadly, uh, our society today is denigrating the whole idea of masculinity and the warrior ethos. It is being emasculated. And even I saw a report today, West Point, of all places, is now talking about toxic masculinity and downplaying the whole idea of a man being a man, a masculinity. Look, in the Bible, what did, what did David say when he called his son to his bedside on his deathbed? He said, he said, be a man. Yep. And even in Job, God said to Job, now be a man. What that meant something to those societies. It should mean something to us, but now we don't even know what it means because a man can go in a woman's bathroom if he feels like a woman. Uh, so we we're so we are we are denigrating the whole idea of masculinity. Listen, hey, for your for your listeners, hey guys, listen. It's okay to be a man. It's yes. okay to be a masculine man. It's okay to step up and be the defender and the protector and the and the chaplain in, in your home and in your community. It's okay to be the one, the teacher. The one that teaches the children, that teaches uh, them about biblical prophecy, uh, aligns things with uh, what's going on in the world today. Uh, and, and then it's okay, you as a man, to be a battle buddy and to step forward and, 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 and help your, your battle buddy and to comfort him when he's down and to kick him in the seat of his pants when he, <laughs> when he needs it, when he's involved in something that's, that he shouldn't be involved in. If you're a real battle buddy, what you're called to be, it's no different than Joshua and Caleb. You need to be the one that steps in and says, man, what are you doing? You're off on the wrong track. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your family. It's going to cost you. you got to stop. Uh, that, I mean, that's a battle buddy. But there's five things, as you said, that a man ought to be. And I don't know if my five are exactly the same as yours, but I'll bet you they're pretty doggone close. What are your five? A man is a, and I'll break it down to the five P's. I actually had to put different names on them, but it's the protector, the provider, the
the professor, the pal, and the priest. Now, the pal means the battle buddy. You're a mentor to somebody. You're a battle buddy to somebody. You know, the, the professor means you're the teacher. You're the one that follows what's going on in the world that you live in. And you're able to explain it to not only the people in your home, your children, even your wife as, as required, but you're able to explain it to those uninformed people around you that are quickly jumping on conspiracy theories. <laughs> you need to be the one that really has spent some time looking into the issue and you've understood it and you've checked multiple sources. And, and I think that's what a man is supposed to do. That's awesome. Well, I believe a man is a protector, defender, fighter, provider, pursuer of God, builder, leader, sacrificer, finisher, conqueror. So very, very similar, although I didn't go with the P's. Very, very similar. So I really love this. I have your book, The Warrior Soul, that you co-authored with Stu Weber, and he is a mutual friend. And your P's sound very very familiar to the, uh, the four pillars of a man's heart. And so yes. I really, really love that book as well. So, hey, I want to, our time is limited, uh, General, so I want to talk to you about your Delta training. And yeah. I want to talk to you about this long walk. <laughs> uh, you you yeah. played that down, but I mean, it was brutal. Uh, about the long walk, you said on page 77, after it was over, I came to understand that the course was designed to test one thing and one thing only a man's resolve. And then our mutual yeah. friend Stu Weber says he's written numerous times that this is the era of the soft male. So for yeah. men who are not elite military sports, special forces operators, what, what can, what can you say to those men about testing their resolve and raising sons that have resolve and that persevere and are willing to fight for what they believe is right? What are, what's some advice you can give that you learned at the de- on the long walk as well as in your illustrious military career? To begin with, if you're a man uh, here in this broadcast and you're raising sons, sons and daughters, but especially sons, there's one thing that you, I want you to, to do, and that is let them endure hmm. hardship. Let them experience hardship. Take them out on the Appalachian Trail and walk them with a rucksack for three or four days. Uh, Take them out in the cold. Let them endure hardship. And when they make bad decisions, let them suffer the consequences. Because our society today is a safe space, participation trophy uh, (laughs) country. And that does not develop men from boys. What does develop men from boys is recognizing that there are consequences to their decisions, but also, you know, my son, let me just say this. My son, Aaron, uh, who's a secret service agent, uh, made it through one of the worst ranger school classes in the history of the ranger school because it was such an abysmal winter. And he, uh, sitting around a fire in Alaska one night, he said, dad, you know why I made it? I said, no. I guess because you're just tough. And he said, yeah, but do you know why I'm tough? I said, "Uh, well, uh, I don't know. He said, remember when you used to get me up at four o'clock in the morning and take me out in that duck blind and we'd sit there and I'd freeze and shiver the whole day? Yeah, I'm sorry. He said, remember uh, you'd get me up early in the morning, put me in a tree stand deer hunting and I wouldn't even see a deer. I'd sit there all day, cold, miserable, raining. 
And he said, you remember when you take me on the Appalachian Trail and you walk me and my brother for days on that Appalachian Trail? Yes, and I'm sorry. He said, I knew that I could make it because mm. I'd been there before. He said, I knew I could make it. Wow. Problem with the young men today is they don't know they can make it. You see, we've sheltered them. We've protected them. Look, one of my sons. Uh, got caught in Washington, D.C. speeding, and I had a pistol in the car, and you can't have a pistol in the car. He wasn't supposed to be in Washington. <laughs> and they locked him up, and they called me and said, we got your son down here. And I said, well, what did he do? He said, well, he was driving. He was speeding in Washington, and uh, we found a pistol in the car. And I said, well, tell him to enjoy his evening. <laughs> let, him, let him spend the night in jail. Yeah. Because he, he wasn't supposed to be there. So... We have to be understand that we've got to let them endure hardship and recognize their consequences to their choices in life. That's so powerful. And and last weekend I sat with my three sons or two sons in a waist deep water for eight hours hunting ducks and freezing. And now I can tell yeah. them it's not just about shooting the ducks, it's about getting tougher. So I that's appreciate it. that advice. <laughs> No, hey, that's right. You're right. I'm sure you uh, read Sun Tzu's book, The Art of War. In that, he says, yeah. victorious warriors win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first, then seek to win. And on page yeah. 91 in your book, you, you shared Delta's motto, and that motto is surprise, speed, and violence of action. So it sounds very much like the Sun Tzu quote. Do any of these carry over into real life uh, for men or is this a warrior, is this a military mindset only? Talk to us about how men should strategize as husbands and fathers to uh, be, to strike fast, to, to be willing to act immediately. Speak to us about that. Yeah, first of all, you've got you to gotta recognize, especially in your home, another point on, on, on boys is you aren't their friend. That's not your purpose in life. And, and too many dads want to be their children's friend. But you're the leader in that home. Yes. You're, you're the leader, and you got to make the tough decisions. you got to say no to those things that they tell you that everybody else is doing it or everybody else has this. you got to be strong enough in the family. I was, in, uh, I was at a men's conference this past weekend, and, and uh, you know, the testimonies of guys that uh, would come for counseling, that would, would come to just have somebody pray with them, the number of men that came up here said, I've ruined my family. I've ruined my family mm -hmm. because I haven't been the leader in my home. I've ruined, I've lost the respect of my children. My wife, you know, doesn't even sleep in the same room with me uh, or, or my wife has left uh, because the men are not leading. And Bishop Larry Jackson, who, who is, used to be with Promise Keepers for, for 20 years, uh, out of Charlotte, Bishop Jackson preached on this whole issue of, of men being leaders. A man provides leadership. And, uh, and I would say you better decide that being a friend to your children is not nearly as important as being a, a father that is going to set them on the right path to set them up for success in the future because it is what, what they see and experience when they are young boys and girls, that's going to determine whether they're going to be successful in life or not in many, many ways. And by the way, also, you have to, you as a man, 
greatest compliment that you can ever have from your daughter is for her to say, I want to marry a man just like you. Hmm. Because you've seen how she has seen how you treat the mother. So the man in the home, the man in the family uh, has to lead, but he has to set an example as well, particularly with regards to how to treat the mother. That's so good. Well, eight years ago when we launched this ministry, I had a I drove two hours to uh, Boring, Oregon, and met with uh, your friend Stu Weber. Oh yeah. And Stu Weber said something to me that we've made our tagline, and and you just said it in uh, different words. He said, "When a man gets it." Everyone wins. And so we have to get these men on the page to get it. And so the men have to be willing to be sent by God. And speaking of that, uh, recounting the uh, Iran hostage crisis in 79 and 80, uh, your your story on page 127, you tell the story before the uh, operation was about to begin. Obviously, uh, it didn't go the way it was planned because of some mechanical stuff. But you talked about General Vought's prayer out of Isaiah 6. Whom shall yeah. I send and who will go for us? How should that be the prayer of every man as we as we walk into this thing called manhood? Let's go back to what I said earlier. When you're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you come into a relationship with him, and as Romans 10, 9 says, you make him the Lord of your life. He didn't redeem you just so you go to heaven. He redeemed you so you be a warrior in God's kingdom. You ought to be every day saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Mm-hmm. That's the problem in the church today, I believe, is a misunderstanding of why God redeemed us. Mm. It's not so we would go to heaven. We're going to heaven. That's our reward. It's our end of tour award, like the little ribbons we wear on our uniform. But while we're here on earth, it's not good enough to just sit on the pew of the church. It's not even good enough that you sing in the choir or that you pay your tithes, or you take communion, uh, or or that you've been baptized. That's not good enough. That's all important, and it ought to be done. But what is really important is that you take what you learn in those Sunday sessions, in those small groups. You take what you learn, you take it out into the society, and you help to build God's kingdom. You see, it's not about building churches. It's about building the kingdom, and each one of us, should be saying, here, my Lord, send me. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How can I serve you while I'm here on this earth until you call me home? And the problem is most people are satisfied that they're going to heaven, and they are, and they sit on the front pew of the church, pay their tithes and sing the hymns with the choir, but they don't ever go out and help build the kingdom. It is about building the kingdom. You see this this fear of building the kingdom manifest in pastors today that will not talk about the social issues, yeah. the hot button issues that really are destroying our society. Abortion, certainly one of them, but the whole human sexuality is another one. And uh, they've got to be focused on you're here to serve. Well, so what do you think about the verse, uh, Matthew thirteen twelve? I think it is, where Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. Do you interpret that as the warrior mentality? I think that's exactly what it is. What does Exodus 15.3 say? The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. 
if, man. if the Bible says the Lord is a warrior, in, especially in Exodus, and then in Revelation 19, it, it depicts Jesus coming back, riding a white horse, wearing a bloodstained white robe, leading a mighty army with a sword coming out of his mouth. Oh, my gosh. Don't you think somewhere between Exodus 15.3 and Revelation 19, we're expected to be warriors in God's kingdom? I think there's a mindset issue with men today. You know, you said earlier in the podcast, quote, he redeemed you so you can be a warrior for his kingdom. Do you think men have a wimp mindset uh, that they just, there's no mindset towards being a warrior, but they're more of a victim? Yes, I do. And I think that, again, this goes back to the safe space uh, and Mm. the uh, participation trophies. We're ruining our men. And then if you look at... uh, universities, major universities that are teaching classes on toxic masculinity. And even the University of Texas Department of Psychology declared uh, masculinity as a mental disorder. And you've got Brown University that's teaching classes on overcoming toxic masculinity. How can you add toxicity? How can you add the word toxic to masculinity? There is such an assault. But let me tell you something. That is part of how you destroy families in America. The Communist Party USA wrote a book in 1958 called The Naked Communist. And we laughed at them because they told us how they were going to take over America. But one of the things that they were going to do was they were going to destroy the families because the most fundamental institution in America that holds our nation together is the family structure, mother, father, children. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and they told us they were going to attack the families and destroy families. Well, today, you know, divorce, 50% of all marriages are in the divorce. It's actually probably a little higher than that right now. And uh, families are falling apart. Absentee fathers, uh, 71-something percent of uh, black uh, babies born in America today are born to unwed parents. The, the whole family structure is falling apart. And a lot of that has to do with making wimps out of the men. Uh, Because as Stu Stu Weber said to you, when the men get it right, everybody gets it right. Yeah, that's true. And then, you know, masculinity by definition is doing things pertaining to manhood. And a man who does that is never toxic. It's the opposite of toxic. You know, when a man functions as a man, he's his best version for his family and his family wins. So I, I just, I'm in total agreement with you on this whole thing. So, well, tell us about Grenada. I wanted to, I know we had a limited time and I didn't want to talk about all of your stories, but let, let's talk about Grenada. That was significant to you. Talk about getting out of the comfort zone. You're in a helicopter, you're taking fire. Walk us through that journey. Yeah. Well, I, uh, we're coming in on a target and I was sitting in the door and we were, we were hammering them down below, but they were hammering us too. And I got hit uh, in the side of the chest and then up through the armpit with 50 caliber. <sighs> and uh, bottom line is this, they, uh, uh, when I woke up out of uh, the, my second surgery uh, at Fort Bragg and Womack hospital, uh, they said, you know, you're never going to use your arm again. We need to take your arm off. And of course I said, no, you just do the best you can because God's going to heal me. And I'd been praying, and God had given me that assurance that he would He would heal me if I trust him. And, uh, of course, they didn't know what I was talking about. But, look, <laughs> he did heal me. He did heal me. The arm yeah. they wanted to take off, and 
And I used, I used to tell people up till I was about, about the time I was 65, I used to go over on my birthday and rack up 300 pounds and bench press it with my little <laughs> green eyed wife there, just so I could hear her squeal with glee. And then I spent the rest of the year trying to, you know, recover from it. But, <laughs> but, uh, let me tell you another story about Grenada because I, and I think, I don't even know if I wrote about this in the book, but, uh, but I was thinking when I was, I mean, I was hit hard. Yeah. And, you know, I was bleeding and I was, uh, I was in and out of consciousness, you know. And, and I, as they were carrying me out to a helicopter, uh, I, I looked up and the guy in that helicopter is a Marine Corps helicopter. I'm Army, but the yeah. guy in that helicopter was a Marine. And, and I looked down and he was hanging out the window, giving me a thumbs up. And, uh, and I looked through my bleary eyes and I realized that was one of my best friends flying that helicopter. Oh, wow. As, as I was saying, God, have you forsaken me? God, have you, are you not here anymore? Do you not care about me? Where are you, God? I looked out and he's hanging out the window of that helicopter and he'd given me a thumbs up. He had no idea who he was going to pick up. Let me tell you, that guy, he was one of my best friends. He grew up 35 miles from me, and we had wow. spent, we had just two months earlier in September. That was October, so it was actually a month earlier. We had taken our families to Bush Gardens to vacation together. And then he said, I'm on my way to Beirut. I'll see you after the first year when I get back from Beirut. On the way to Beirut, his his uh, ship got diverted to, to Grenada and they launched all their helicopters that morning. And he was the executive officer of the squadron. So he, he didn't go, he was left on deck. And when they started calling for medevac and they started saying medevac, medevac, we've got a man that's hit bad. We need to get him out. Can anybody fly a medevac? He, he actually jumped in a, in a helicopter with the maintenance officer that the maintenance officer said, sir, this thing is in maintenance and you can't fly it. He said, will it fly? He said, yes, but you are not supposed to fly. You're going to get in trouble. He said, that's all right. He said, there's a man that needs a medevac and we're going to fly it. I'll get in the policy. You get in the co-policy. We're going to get him. And when he landed and he looked who, at who they were bringing out on that, uh, on that stretcher, and he was a man of faith as well. He could see the hand of God. And that was God's way of saying to me, no, I haven't forgotten you. Wow. I sent your buddy to get you. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a better story in, from Grenada because hmm. that's the one that has had the greatest impact on me. Wow. That, well, you conclude the book with this quote. My military career has offered me a way to make a difference, a way to do some good in this world. I have not served perfectly, but with God's help, I had served faithfully. How should that be true for every man? Every one of us needs to acknowledge that, we, first of all, we're sinners. Mm. We need the redemption of Jesus Christ. Secondly, that uh, we're flawed characters, and we are going to. The one thing you can count on is at some point you're going to foul something up. You're going, But get back up. Get back up. If you've done something really bad, confess it. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
you just get back up and get back in the game, get back on the ice, get back on the playing field. When you foul something up, just learn from it and get back in the game. You, you got to, you got to stay at it. You cannot get discouraged. And that's why you need a battle buddy. That guy that's going to come along and help you. And, uh, it's, it's not about how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you get up. That's a powerful statement. It's not about how many times you get knocked down. It's about how many times you get up. Well, hey, we're out of time for today. I sure appreciate you coming on and taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule. How can our guys get a hold of your book? I know you've got that book. I'm getting ready to read The Warrior's Soul that you wrote with Stu Weber and other books. How can we pick those up? Uh, you can get them on Amazon. And uh, my new book, uh, Man to Man, will uh, you can do pre-orders right now. It'll be uh, in print on the 14th of April. But uh, go ahead and, and do a pre-order now and get yours before everybody else does. Well, hey, Man uh, to Man. I sure appreciate that and taking the time. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Glad to be with you. Thank you. All right. Men, let's get our boots on the ground. What are you going to do about your the interview today with – General Jerry Boykin. What's next? What's next action step? Here it is. You heard him mention numerous times in the podcast to find a battle buddy. You need to have a battle buddy, somebody who has your sick, somebody who has your back, somebody who you could call at two in the morning, somebody who if you were in a dark alley, uh, they would be right there by your side fighting with you. And when I mean a battle buddy, I mean somebody that you can talk to on a weekly basis, somebody who can confess your sins to, somebody who knows the darkest parts of your life. You need to find that person. If you don't have that guy in your life, I want you to start praying that God would send you that guy, and I want you to start looking around and finding a guy that would fit the perfect profile for a battle buddy. Guys, we'll also post that boots on the ground item on our weekly equipping blast for men that you can get. If you go to www.meninthearena.org, you sign up for our free book, which is right on the homepage. We'll shoot you our bathroom book for men. When you do that, when we get that to you, we'll add you to our weekly equipping blast for men. And that goes out to men from all over the country. And guys, as we've told you before, we're a nonprofit crowdfunded organization, and we exist to help you become your best version. And because of a huge group of donors who support this ministry, we're able to offer our resources free to missionaries, active military, and men in underdeveloped nations. And if you want to know more about that, you can go to men in the arena.org slash donate. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Never surrender. Grind it out and be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.